The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman. Dr. Bill is a TV host, New York Times bestselling author, two-time Guinness World Book record holder, fitness guru, celebrity cosmetic dentist, and philanthropist who founded the Leap Foundation. Here's Dr. Bill. Hey, Dr. Bill here. As we approach the holiday season, I want to take a moment to express my heartfelt thanks to each of you for your incredible support of Meet the Mentor and of LEAP. Um, It truly means a lot to me and and the whole LEAP family. Uh, We hope that this podcast serves as a place to learn, grow, and inspire you to work hard and smart to achieve your goals in both vocation and in life. Uh, May your holidays be filled with joy and inspiration. And before we do another Meet the Mentor with my friend Daniel Gestetner, close enough? Yeah. Okay. It's a hard last name. Let me tell you why we even do these. Leap is going into its 17th year. It is an entrepreneurship program for high school and college students that has typically been done at UCLA for the last 17 years. This year, we're making a move. Actually, we're making a leap. Cross town 11 miles to USC. Uh, UCLA is building out an Olympic village in the dorm, so they don't have room for us. What do students do at LEAP? They basically learn the skills that they need to be successful in life, from time management, money management, to how to apply for a job, how to write a resume. We even do things about like health and fitness and and public speaking and all kinds of things. It's an amazing one-week program where students live in the dorms at USC and will be exposed to some of the greatest mentors in the world. Uh, We have a huge list of celebrities that have come and spoken at LEAP in the past. Uh, Richard Branson, Paula Abdul, Nisi Nash, Anthony Hopkins, Mark Wahlberg, Kathy Bates, Chris Voss, uh, the FBI negotiator, Pentatonics, the whole group, Apollo Ono, the you know most decorated winter Olympian in history, Michael Strahan, Jason Alexander, Eva Longoria. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. And it gives these students an opportunity not just to learn from these great mentors, but actually to network and support each other. You know, in, in, in an age where, where, where kids are the subject of so much social media pressure, it really helps them have an audience of other kids just supporting them and helping them grow in the right direction. So if you're a parent or a student age 15 to 25 plus and are looking for an amazing summer program to go to, please check out LEAP, www.leapfoundation.com and sign up today. In fact, parents, it's a perfect holiday gift. Um, and without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to Daniel. Daniel is a seasoned entrepreneur with over 25 years of technology, retail, and consumer goods experience. In 2017, Daniel was part of the founding team for Byte. So he's kind of like a dentist, like me, but not really a dentist. Uh, It was a direct-to-consumer dental alignment brand. So for those of you who don't know, Products like Invisalign came out and made billions and billions of dollars on the market, but patents only last for 18 years. And as soon as that patent expired, it was kind of an open market. And there were a plethora of other brands that came out. 
And Daniels was one of the most successful. So it was basically a direct-to-consumer dental aligner brand. Uh, the team built the business over three years and then exited in December 2020, the year of the pandemic, for $1.4 billion. Not million, billion. Um, you can go to www.bytebyteme.com and learn more about the business. Uh, Daniel has spoken at many conferences around the world, been featured in many news outlets, and has represented the UK government as an ambassador for trade and industry in major advertising campaigns that they've run. Daniel's an active member of YPO, the Young Presidents Organization. That's where we met, and we are actually in our forum together. Um, and um, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. So you're not a dentist. You knew nothing about dentistry. How did Bite happen? Well, that's a great story. So in fact, it's a YPO story. So I met my business partner um, on a YPO trip. Um, he was in the process of selling his company. And he said, I've got this idea for a new business. Um, one of my friends is an orthodontist, and I was having dinner with him recently. And he was telling me how worried he was. He was being disrupted, and that ultimately his patients would not need to come into the practice. Um, they'd be able to do so much more online. Um, and that was the genesis of the idea. So my business partner had the idea, and he said, I think we've got something here. Let's work out if there's a play, if we can make the economics work, because it's all very well and good having an idea, but can you make it work financially? And is it viable to do it at home? Um, and that was the genesis of the, the idea back in, that was the end of 2016. Yeah. Okay. So as a dentist, um, I'm going to kind of enlighten our audience here. So typically tooth movement was only done with braces, right? You put a, a bracket on a tooth and you push it and you push it into place. And as you're moving your tooth, the bone reforms and it allows you to actually move a tooth into place and then the bone reforms and holds it in place. We later found with Invisalign that you didn't have to put all these metal brackets on your teeth. You could actually use plastic trays, hard trays that could gradually move the teeth. And so with Invisalign, you have trays that you change weekly or biweekly that continually push your teeth into place. When Invisalign started, they patented this technology and they were pretty much the only show in town, right? Yeah, yeah, they were. When their patent expired, other companies were able to jump into the market and that's what you did. So for me, uh, what I'm going to ask you is as a challenge, you know, when you're doing Invisalign, you typically go to your dentist and the dentist takes impressions. Yeah. Well, you can't take impressions at home. Um, or a dentist will scan you using, you know, a scanner. So how did, were you able to deliver a product at home where a patient didn't have to go to a dental office and get impressions made? And that's a great question. So that was the first challenge. We were like, okay, we've got a product here, but how do we deliver it to the customer? How do we get them to give us an impression of their teeth so that we can take a 3D rendering, we can create a teeth movement, and we can show them what their teeth would look like to sell them on the product. Well, we said, could we use an iPhone? You know, could we take the phone and take pictures and scan your teeth? And the answer is not today. At no. some point in the future, we that'll probably be the case. Or there'll be something you can attach to your iPhone to take your own scan at home. But at the moment, that te technology <clears throat> does not exist. 
Um, so you can go to a dentist office and you can do a, get a scan of your teeth. We thought, okay, could we have like a mobile unit, someone going out there and going into people's homes to scan their teeth? And we thought the issue with that is that's going to create a friction point. You know, we can't create scale around something where someone's got to go to your physical home and take a, take a scan. So we said, okay, what can we do? Well, for years, people have been taking molds of their teeth to get, um, to get braces, not braces, to get gum shields for sports. So we thought, okay, can we take that same principle? Um, can we create a mold that they can take themselves at home um, and, and, and ship it into us? We create a 3D scan of it. Um, and what's the, what's that, how's that going to work? So we started testing it. We realized that number one, yes, it would work, but we need to do a really good instruction video. So like the ABC of how do you do it at home? Number two, we had to give them four different trays so that they could screw up the first one and the second one and still provide us with an accurate mold of their teeth. Um, but ultimately we proved that it worked and that customers with the right material, with the right number of trays so they could make mistakes, with the right instruction video, they could actually take a mold of their own teeth. So how do they, because I've actually never seen your product in person, how do they take the mold? So um, so you get these like trays, it's like a, looks, it's a plastic tray with, with some putty, two things of putty. You have to mix the putty in together. And again, there's a little video, it takes about 30 seconds. You, you roll the putty, you put it into the tray, you put the tray onto, onto your top teeth and bottom teeth, one each. Um, you wait, I can't remember how long it is now, 60 seconds or something. Um, you then take it out, and that's then created a mold of your teeth. Got it. So it's actually pretty straightforward. Well, it's exactly what we do in the dental office. It is. And, and then we we're worried, well, how will the accuracy compare to what nurses are doing in a dental office? And actually, we found... Accuracy was just as good, patients doing it themselves at home, than nurses doing it at the dental office. And then you basically take these and make a series of aligners, just like Invisalign does. Correct. So the, so the mold gets shipped back to us. We send it off to our dental lab. We take a, a scan of it, 3D scan of it. We then sent it, we set up an office in Costa Rica where, to do treatment planning. Um, and we did the treatment planning in our office there. We created that 3D visualization. Right. We'd send that to the customer and we'd say, if you subscribe to Byte, if you sign up for our product, this is what your teeth movement will look like. Um, and that was the start of the, of the process. Okay. So I have a million questions. So first of all, do you ever get somebody whose bite is so bad that you just can't fix it? Absolutely, yes. So, and then what, then you just like send them, oh my goodness, can you imagine getting a rejection letter from Bite? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We could only treat mild to moderate cases. Ex so no, I know that. Know. I'm just asking, like, how do you send somebody a rejection letter? I mean, it's what we do is we refer them. So we say, okay. you know, you're not a candidate um, for Bite, but we can refer you to an orthodontist. So part of us, you know, you have to be licensed and, you know, uh, uh, orthodontics um and what we were doing was you know teledentistry so we had to be licensed in every state so we actually built a network of about 150 dentists and orthodontists oh, around the it. us got licensed um, and they actually had to approve every case so 
we could only sign off a case if the, if the dentist approved in that state signed off the paper. Got it. Got it. Okay. So you come up with a great idea. You work out an actual method to implement the idea. Now what? How do you go to market? And how do you actually like start getting customers? Yeah, I mean, that's where you know, it really comes down to execution. It's about hiring amazing people that really understand the space. And as you said before, you know, none of us on the founding team were dentists or orthodontists. So what do we do? We brought two you know, amazing dentists and orthodontists on the team, um, and we leaned on their expertise. We built an advisory network of people that were experts in the field. Um, and then we started building the team out of, you know, marketing, you know, product, insurance. You know, one of the key things here was was insurance reimbursements. Right. We hired someone who was an expert in the insurance reimbursement field. Um, building the dental network, you know, we had to work with these dentists. and we, So we hired someone to own the building of that network. Um, and I'm sure that the orthodontic community embraced you with open arms. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of lawsuits later. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk about that. Yeah. So I think we actually had the advantage in this instance of not going first. So you talk about sometimes, you know, first mover advantage. And right. I've, I've also in previous incarnations, previous businesses had first mover advantage, and that can really work to your advantage. In other instances, actually, it doesn't work to your advantage. In this instance, it most certainly did not work. So first mover in the direct consumer space was small direct club um and um and they were they launched about two three years before us they spent a vast sum of money uh creating the awareness um and um so what did the dental boards do they went after them because they were the ones spending all this money creating all this awareness and they had to spend millions of dollars fighting it and ultimately they won because the, right. It was, you know, we we were. It was totally legal. Yeah, and you rode on their coattails. And we rode on their coattails. So yeah. <laughs> if you've ever read the the book about McDonald's, um, Burger King was brilliant. McDonald's would literally spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on every new location to make sure that the demographic and everything was perfect, and they had this this solid gold record of success for never having a franchise fail. Burger King just built next door to McDonald's. They didn't spend a penny. Yeah. <laughs> they just, anytime a McDonald's yeah. went up, Burger King went next door. And, and we were a similar example to Exactly. That. So, That's right. Smile Direct was spending hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm sure. On top of funnel marketing, brand awareness. What were we doing? We were spending all our money, uh, a fraction of what they spent because we self-funded it. They raised $1.2 billion. We right. didn't raise any money. Um, so we spend our money on having a better product, better customer experience, and the best number one rated product in the US. So that when people went online, they did their search. And before spending two, three thousand dollars, you're gonna do your research online. Right, right, right. And they then went online and saw that actually Bite was the number one rated product in the US. Okay, so basically we call that build a better mousetrap. You know, when tooth whitening first hit the market, my company did not have, you know, any presence at all. But what we did is exactly what you did, Daniel, is we spent our time, our energy, our resources to make the best tooth whitening product on the market. And, you know, we had the best mousetrap. Yeah. And immediately our sales exploded and we dwarfed 
the, the, the sales of all the other companies were dwarfed by our sales. So that, I mean, that was brilliant. Tell me some of the things you did that actually differentiated you guys from Smile Direct and yeah. made you have the advantage. So number one, we really invested in, in people and customer service and experience. Huge. You know, and that really was the defining moment for us that we realized we had a better product than them. So a lot of people outsource their call centers, for example. Case in point, Smile Direct outsource their call center. So you have a problem or you have a question or you're in that sales process, but you haven't yet made the buy decision. You call a number on their website and you're speaking to a third party that's not employed directly by their business. Right. We thought that was a fundamental flaw. We thought we want to own totally. these people. We want, to, totally. we want them in our office. Totally. We want to know. We want that firsthand. We want to be that, that touch point with the customer. You know, so, so that was like the biggest first mover advantage for us on owning the customer journey, owning the customer experience, you know, and, and that feedback, you know, we had feedback, both negative and positive. We could respond instantaneously. You know, we responded to, we didn't hide a lot of other brands, hide their like Facebook, you know, when people put negative comments out there, they hide them. We didn't hide them, but we, we responded to any comment, positive or negative. Right. You know, we were super, you know, upfront about the experience and the journey. Um, and we took any constructive criticism uh, and we, because we were, you know, founder operated business, we could pivot as much as we wanted into any direction we wanted. So if things weren't working or we needed to shift slightly, we did it. And then the customer won. I love that. Uh, you were nimble. You Very were nimble. nimble. And when I owned Discus Dental, we beat out all the biggest dental companies that were spending tens of millions of dollars because we were so nimble. It was me and Robert making decisions. And the second we saw something wasn't working, boom, we just shifted. Whereas they would have a board meeting and then another. And by the time they did that, we already like killed them in, in, in whatever was going on at the time. And that's so key. So you only had the company for what, two years, three years? Three years. And, and to your point, you know, um, we went from zero to a you know billion dollar exit in three years. We had no board, we had no external investors, crazy, no structure. Um, and and in fact, this is a great one. We were on QuickBooks, which we hadn't even I love that. Like, oh my goodness, you know, a sophisticated financial crazy tool. We were literally on QuickBooks. Um, and and how rapid were your sales? They were crazy rapid. So our first year of revenue was. Uh, 2019, we did about $15 million in revenue. 15. 15, one five. Our second year was 2020, and we did over 120 million in revenue. Wow. And tens of millions of profit. And so that was, it was a quarter of a billion dollars. Crazy. So it was, it was a great growth path. And, and now the business, obviously, we sold it to a big dental group. Um, and uh, it's still doing hundreds of millions of dollars and it's growing and it's, it's, they're very happy. So, Do you have any, relationship with them at all or are you completely out completely out um a lot of our teams stayed all of our leadership teams stayed when we sold the business um and most have subsequently left it's been three almost three years now wow um but yeah so let's switch gears for a second you are a serial entrepreneur this was not your first business by far probably your biggest yeah. but you know how did you you know get started like creating businesses and growing them i mean i knew a, a kind of 
high school and college that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, that I wanted to start a business. But this was back in the kind of the 80s. Right. Um, and this was before the internet. This was before you could literally start a business from your dorm. Um, so, you know, back in my day, in, you know, selling products, for example, you had to have a physical store or you had a catalog, but you couldn't like put something online and very quickly launch a business. Um, so the advice I got when I was going through kind of into college and coming out of college was go and learn um, working for a big company first. You, you want to be an entrepreneur, great. Smart. But go and learn. So I actually, my first job, I went to work for Tesco, which is the biggest grocer in the UK. I joined their graduate training program. It was an amazing learning. Um, and I blew through it and it was a two-year management training program. I managed to complete it in under a year and moved into head office and I became a buyer at 22 years old, I was their cake buyer, um, nice. which was pretty fun. But, in the, in, you know, so that learning, you know, for some, from somebody else definitely gave me the tools to be a better entrepreneur. And your very, very, very first business was what? Um, so I, I left Tesco, went to join Revlon Cosmetics, spent a few years there running the marketing for Central Europe. Um, 1997, I did a stint for them in New York. Um, and, um, the internet had launched and I was trying to buy products online. Um, and it was very difficult. You had to know the exact URLs just before Google, believe it or not, there mm -hmm. was no Google. Mm -hmm. You had to know the exact URL to find a shop. Um, and, and I thought this is crazy. Um, came out to the UK end of 97 and started noodling on this idea to create a shopping portal. Um, and I thought, wouldn't it be great if there was one place that people could go online to buy all their goods and right, services right, yeah. um and that was my first business so i set up at the end of 1998 called shopsmart.com kind of an amazon um, before yeah it was amazon was about one of our customers so we created a comparison shopping engine so if you wanted to go and buy something online you come to shopsmart um and we did a comparison in real time we created a, a robot that would scroll the web and find everyone's pricing and availability and and give you you want to buy, you know, 32 inch Sony TV. This is the price, all the different retailers. This is availability of the product. This is the reviews. Um, and we were the first to do it. So that was my first business. I was 27 years old, um, built the biggest shopping portal in Europe. Oh, so, wow. And how long did you have that one? Well, unfortunately it didn't work out exactly the way we wanted it to work out. So we were at the forefront of an industry, first mover advantage, web 1.0, um, it was crazy days. I went out there, raised tens of millions of dollars, hired a lot of people, opened offices all over Europe, created a great business. Um, and, um, we were about to list, we were about to IPO, um, in 2000 for half a billion dollars. Right. Um, at the time I owned a big chunk of the company and on paper was worth a lot of money. Um, and then the market collapsed a week before our IPO. So, um, was it so, of Amazon or no, actually the, the, the stock market, the, the, oh, the, the stock, stock market collapsed, the dot com bubble burst, um, yeah, yeah, in, uh, yeah. in April 2000. So we were just about every, timing, everything in life is timing. And we actually turned down a quarter of a billion cash offer a month before for the business. Um, but Goldman Sachs and were taking us public and they were like, no, you're going to go for half a billion dollars and you'll be worth a billion within a month or three months. Yeah. 
best on the market comps. And I'm, I've heard that story so many times. And, you know, that's why I keep saying a bird in the hand is worth yeah. two in the bush. So we did end up selling the business a year later, um, but not for the hundreds of millions we were most sold for. And that was my first, my first business. And having, a, you know, having at such a young age, such a big exposure, I was, you know, spokesperson on BBC, Sky News, on tech. Right. I headlined the Financial Times conference and various other conferences. And it was crazy days because it was so new. You know, it's difficult to understand now, but no Google and <laughs> these right, right. portals. This, this was like the wild, wild west of the internet. All right. All right. So what's next? What are you working on now? So my partners from Byte and I, we, we're, uh, we've just launched a new business um, in the connected fitness space. Um, it's called Alter, altermedia. I've seen it, and it's awesome. Um, thank you. So, And you, by the way, look amazing. I, I mean, I hope you don't mind me sharing. He has made a major commitment to fitness. How much did you lose? Like 40 pounds? 30 pounds. 30 pounds. I mean, you look better than I've ever seen you. You look thank amazing. You. Thank you. Yeah, I mean that was a different. That was like a personal transformation journey, which has been amazing. Turning, you turn fifty, and you think, you know, am I happy with? Yeah, let me I, know what it feels like to turn fifty. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm not there yet, but um, so yeah. So, but but all to me was a you know, an idea to personalize fitness at home. It's so it's brilliant. It's, you know, there's lots of fitness options out there including peloton and tonal and obviously you can go to a gym but nobody has kind of personalized fitness hey if you need a 65 year old fitness instructor i'm available call my agent <laughs> absolutely um that's awesome and if any students want to uh, get a hold of you what's the best way to do that um i mean again via kind of linkedin um and if you put it in the notes i'm happy for anyone to reach out and happy to chat and always happy to give advice yeah. and for those of you who are regulars on our meet the mentor you have probably already listened to his son harry's podcast which we did and we have some exciting news about harry which we forgot to mention in his podcast dad he just made the forbes 30 under 30 in the last of those that's pretty amazing. Congratulations. You must be a very proud papa. Thank you. Job done. I, I mean, my two girls, they're at college. Um, so I need to get them out into the workplace and what have you. But there's a father. You know, this is our number one job is to yeah. build our kids up and and give them more successes than, than we've had. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Daniel, it was great doing this with you. Thank you so much. I feel like you're a fellow dental brother here. <laughs> um, if you need more information on LEAP, please go to www.leapfoundation.com. Have a great holiday season. Let's pray for world peace. Dr. Bill, over now. To learn more about the LEAP Foundation, Go to LeapFoundation.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash LeapFoundation or on Instagram at LeapFoundation. Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.